Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, Alex, Sam, and I here today in this, the sportsless era. It's not sportsless, actually, technically. The Bundesliga is happening. Um, NASCAR is happening. Baseball. NASCAR is happening. Not virtual NASCAR where yeah. shitheads say the N-word. The N-word. And On crash TV. into each they're, other as a funny joke. Yeah, they're um, guaranteed still saying it. but Yeah. We didn't... I'm not going to get into this, but we didn't talk about the virtual indie, the virtual indie car thing last week, did we? No. Okay. I won't get into it, but yeah, it's uh, virtual racing. Maybe we need to take a step back from because we're not emotionally prepared to handle that. I think, I guess, <laughs> as a, as a collection of athletes and audience, um, it's just an irresponsible setting. Yeah. Uh, which is hilarious, given. Um, that the alternative would be um, the most irresponsible thing imaginable right now, which is live racing, which is what NASCAR is doing. Yeah. Um, every <laughs> every pit stop is an illegal gathering. Um, <laughs> now, okay, now we're totally derailed. Um, but yeah, be so no the last dance wrapped that. up. Yeah, the last dance wrapped up um, sure Sunday did. night. So ESPN's out of stuff officially. Yeah. Because I well, they don't even have the rights to the Bundesliga, right? That's Fox Sports. Yeah. Which have did you guys watch any of that? No, I haven't. I did not. I I watched one game and there were two goals in it, and they both happened in the first five minutes. Um it uh the first goal happened in like forty six seconds. It was kinda cool, but um, so yeah, I've watched a little bit of Bundesliga. Honestly, I just don't, I'm not in a space right now to be able to wake up early enough to watch much right. of it. Right. Because I'm kind of on my summer calendar now, right. um, as a student still, but, yeah. um, also yeah. a game where two goals happen in the first five minutes and then none happen after that sounds extremely like the sort of game that would be played by teams that took a month off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyways, it, it was nice to have a sporting event. Like, it was two teams that I could not care less about. Um, I think it was Borussia Mönchengladbach, and I can't even remember the other team. But I had zero interest in either team, but I enjoyed watching live sports. That was fun. Um, but, you know, now that The Last Dance is over, what did we what did we think of the last two episodes? Um Personally, I kind of I thought seven and eight were the strongest episodes of the entire series, and I thought nine and ten were fine. They were good, but I thought it, it didn't end quite as strongly as I was kind of hoping it would, to be honest. Right. Well, I think with nine and ten, you got episodes that were primarily just about telling the story of this last finals, which is fundamentally not that interesting of a story. A team, you know, the Bulls win, you know. And they win in six with off of a you know a really amazing performance by Jordan in the last minute of that game, but you know it's fundamentally not as interesting a story as the like decades of basketball that led up to that point as right. unraveled in the first eight episodes. I did think it was pretty interesting that like it became pretty obvious I think to everyone involved that if the Bulls didn't win that game they weren't going to win the series because Scottie Pippen was done. Um, and I mean, maybe Jordan, I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, Jordan might've been able to get it done in a game seven, but it was 
pretty obvious that I don't think he thought he they could win a game seven. So he kind of put it all into that last minute and it worked out for them. But um, I think the the most interesting thing that happened is probably the Dennis Rodman thing. <laughs> like the fact that he left right. randomly to go do wrestling stuff in the middle of the NBA finals. Can you imagine what would happen if an NBA player did that now? Like, yeah, if Draymond Green did that now, it would be the end of the freaking world. Yeah, if an NBA player did that these days. Yeah, um, it's hilarious. Um, at the same time, if I held the Jazz to fifty-four points in a game, I probably would also feel I had earned some time to go hang out with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, that to me was was the highlight of of the whole thing, and you know, it. I think maybe I don't know if we talked about this on the pod, but I think earlier in the series I was kind of like, eh, Dennis Rodman didn't really do it for me, but I honestly didn't know that that happened. I mean, <laughs> he was a weird dude, but I didn't know that he was like, oh yeah. Well, I, I think that was also. I think that final. was lead up to him. Um, let me check this real quick. I'm pretty sure that that was promoting. The fact that later on in the summer, he was going to be fighting Carl Malone at, like, WrestleMania. Did that happen that year? Um, I'm not sure. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. But yeah, it I was, knew that that happened at some point. I didn't know if it was that it year. Was, it was funny to see the internet revisit Bill Simmons' take that, are we sure that Dennis Rodman was ever really an interesting guy? Like, yeah. That was, that was a dumb take at, from the jump. Like... And you could interpret it, and you did, you personally interpreted it in a different way where, yeah, like, you weren't ever personally interested in the weirdness of Dennis Rodman, whereas uh-huh. a lot of people were. But Bill Simmons's take was absurd from the start in that he wasn't interesting in general, and then thank you to Episodes 9 and 10 to completely put that to bed. Right. right. For the record, yes, at the 98 Bash at the Beach, uh, Malone Perfect. versus Rodman. Perfect. Yeah. Like, I think one of the big things, too, that I've really enjoyed is just the constant dunking on Carl Malone that has happened. Uh, yes. Because Carl Malone is just objectively He's a, a bad, bad person. person. <laughs> and I think my favorite tweet was that, like, you know, obviously everyone talks about Jordan and he wasn't, like, the social justice warrior or whatever. But I saw someone tweet that uh, keeping Carl Malone from winning a championship is social, is social justice work or something along those yeah, lines. Essentially, so, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty excellent. Keeping Carl Malone and the state of Utah, you know, away from that trophy is yeah. absolutely a work of justice. Yeah. What's uh what's our take on the uh on the pizza? Oh, how do we no. how do we feel about poison. that? It wasn't poison. Okay. I I don't um, think so either. I think the like, um we can all yeah, it's, a, it's a damn lie. Over, right? It's a yeah. damn lie. Like why would Michael Jordan, I think this was Jason Concepcion from the Ringer's take, why would Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls, the most famous person arguably in the world, order a pizza and say, yes, I would like one pizza for me, Michael Jordan? Right. Like, who, who no one orders a pizza like that unless, I mean, I could see a world where he's like, hey, don't fuck this up because I'm Michael Jordan, because he maybe is that kind of guy. But like, no, well, that didn't then- happen. It didn't seem like he ordered it himself either. Like it, it was his entourage that ordered it. And there's no way that anybody 
in that entourage is going to be like, I, yes, I would like I one would like pizza one pizza for, for my friend yeah. Michael Jordan. That's not happening. Like they wanted to protect him at all costs. So just the idea of that. And, it's, and if it's that did cool. happen, we need to have a bigger conversation about the stupid people that he kept around in his circle. Because right. like if right. it may, maybe they did, maybe it's possible they're like, yeah, we're with Michael Jordan. We want all we want a bunch of free pizza or something. Maybe they did do that, and that now, is just people an incredible misstep. That this is like, um, well, there was like the um that the essentially the Pizza Hut employees like figured out what hotel they were at, which wouldn't be like absurd, right? No. And they saw an order to that hotel and were like, well, it's it's the Bulls. Let's poison a pizza. Um, but no, it didn't happen. For one thing, it's entirely possible, and this isn't, and this is something that I don't think is getting enough talk. It is entirely possible to get food poisoning eating a pizza pizza that wasn't intentionally tampered with. Yeah, incredible point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's my thing. Is like, I just have a hard time thinking that even in Utah, like, I don't think someone would just be like, "Yeah, we're gonna poison this pizza." Like, I don't. Because there's so many things that could go wrong if you were to do that, you know? Right. Well, for one thing, it is a crime. Criminal charges. It is a literal crime, yeah. And, like, what if the person dies? Like, yeah. You killed Michael fucking Jordan. <laughs> right. Right. During now, the NBA Finals. Jazz fans. <laughs> if there was a fan base, it yeah. would be jazz fans. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it happened. I Yeah, I don't either. Um, and that's one of the things that I find interesting is that like, it's so like, it's pretty clear that Michael Jordan didn't really like, yes, he worked hard, but he didn't do a lot to really take care of himself. You know, no. like the dude was smoking cigars pretty much on the daily, mm-hmm. drinking a, quite a bit, eating a, you know, allegedly eating an entire pizza the night before a game. Like that doesn't seem, I mean, it's definitely not a healthy way to live. Um, and it's just kind of interesting that like, that was pretty much probably the norm for the time. And uh, yeah, and I'm going to bring it up like as a testament to the goat debate that we don't want to have and really won't have, but like you in that era, you could do that. Now you cannot do that. Like LeBron, the most he's ever doing, I guess there are some rumors out there about LeBron eating like trash, but he eats tacos and he drinks wine. Like those are his guilty pleasures during the season. Like, yeah. you cannot do what Michael Jordan used to do and be a competitive athlete in any sport, but especially not the NBA right now. Right. Yeah. right. More, I think, astonishing than the pizza story is that the documentary demonstrated that Jordan wasn't lying when he said that he had a piano in his room. Yeah. Yeah. Why did he have a piano in his room? I don't know. Also, he had no idea how to play the piano. Absolutely no idea. Like. Let's not let's not act like oh Michael Jordan had this hidden talent of piano like no he was not. bashing that piano just randomly like yeah. which cool good for him he had a piano yeah, in fine. his room he was celebrating but like yeah let's not act like Jordan is not Kobe in that regard where Kobe like actually learned how to play a little bit yeah Jordan had no idea what the fuck he was doing but um, I guess that's just the musician in me that has to point that out yeah Sorry. prove prove it and go win a Grammy. Right. <laughs> okay, so um, I know that Ryan wants to get something off of his chest about I do. I do. a certain because Jerry, is, and it might not be the thing. Jerry that you think. Right. 
This is the thing about episode 10. It's the last I five minutes. I thought it was going to be a, a rest in peace to Jerry Stiller, but continue. <laughs> no. Um, the last five minutes of the documentary, of this 10-part miniseries, are the first time Jerry Reinsdorf even hints at the fact that if he wanted to keep this team together, he was the person who could choose to do that, and no one could tell him no. Um, it has been absolutely wild that um, this entire time, like the grand villain of this piece is general manager Jerry Krause, who is dead and can't defend himself. Um, a fact that's also not mentioned anywhere in the documentary. Jerry Krause, it's not that Jerry Krause like, declined to appear in this film. He is a dead person. Um, and, you know, you get things like the, um, like the quote to Phil about, like, you could go 82 and 0 and it's still over or whatever, which sure, you know, Jerry Krause might've been an asshole. Phil Jackson was an asshole. Um, and I'm not entirely surprised that a person might decide they're done working with them. Um, but the decision to blow up the team ultimately rested with Reinsdorf, who, um, could have fired Jerry Krause literally whenever he wanted to. Um, if he at any point decided that he did want to um, let the greatest basketball dynasty of all time continue. Um, the limiting factor in allowing this to happen was his money. Um, and so you have to imagine that his, that this was insignificant or entirely his decision. Um, and it's, yeah. it, and it did take until the last five minutes for anyone to even suggest that that might be the case. Right. Well, and that's the thing that the the biggest thing from the last two episodes to me were the fact that Jordan said, I wish we could have come back. Like, I never knew that. I always kind of thought it was like a, eh, it didn't work out. Fuck those guys. I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. um, I but I didn't realize that Jordan still to this day kind of feels like he got kind of shortchanged and that he thinks he could have gotten seven and he would have loved to try. Um, I do think it's kind of naive of Jordan to think that Scotty Pippen was going to be like, yeah, I'll take a one year deal. Like that wasn't fucking going to happen. So no. it was going to, it was going to be a different looking team or the bulls were just going to have to do the right thing and commit long-term money to Scotty Pippen, even though he might've been over the hill because that's what you should fucking do to right. your legendary players right. like they should have given they should have given him the like the kobe contract they absolutely right. should have or they could have avoided all of that and like restructured his contract in 97 or something right you know what right. i mean like yeah they're you know they're, work work with him when they could have and as a result by the way the bulls would have been a better team in 98 because they would have gotten the surgery earlier right yeah <laughs> no it's just it's a calamity of errors in my opinion and i think that the biggest error Jerry Krause made is just the fact that he's really good at every, making everybody hate him. You know, yeah. like I think just objectively speaking, he was an incredibly great GM. Like he did everything right to build a team that won six championships in eight years. And Jerry Reinsdorf, as the owner, a normal owner would be like, yeah, let's keep this shit going. But Jerry Reinsdorf's like, well, I don't really want to pay Scottie Pippen on his next contract. And so therefore Jerry Krause is looking for ways to get out of that because Jerry Reinsdorf is saying, I don't want to pay that guy. You know what I mean? I think like it all comes down to Reinsdorf. If he wanted to keep the team going, it's clear that the players wanted to, to do it. 
And yeah. Kraus would have done that. I don't Absolutely. think Kraus is looking at this as a situation of, no, we, we don't need these guys. I don't think that's how that really was going. Yeah. I think it was. And I like, there were opportunities going. to save some money. You know, you could restructure the rest of the team. Like, if you had to lose Rodman, and then you could just start Kukoc, and like, that would still be a really good basketball team. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Rodman was super important defensively, and and I right, right. needed that skill set. But um, I've kind of been watching some some games recently of of that team. Just you know, the documentary, or in quotes, documentary, uh, kind of piqued my interest. And so I watched the flu game yesterday. I watched the game where Jordan hit the six threes in the finals, and like Tony Kukoc was awesome. Like that dude was probably one of the true first stretch fours that ever played right. the game. Right. And that dude was a badass shooter. Like, that dude was yeah. pulling up in transition, hitting threes. Like, it was it was before that time. And that's one of the things that, you know, if you look at that Bulls team, they were really built. They were built to win in that era, but they were kind of ahead of their, their time. Right. Like, they had, had a like, lot of versus. You had, a, like, a playmaking three and a playmaking four. You had a four who could shoot from outside. Yeah, absolutely. They had they had the ability to do switching defense, like pretty much right. one through five. Like they had a lot of interesting things going, and it's just baffling that an owner and a and a GM. I'll give Kraus some grief in this, but like they were perfectly willing to just kind of rebuild and just kind of, you know, the way the documentary ended. You know, they talk about. They traded all these guys. This guy left, and the Bulls went into a rebuild, and nothing. That was it. And that's kind of it's kind of like the ultimate. Like, yeah, they're still fucking rebuilding right now. Like they still suck. You know, they had that one little era with Derrick Rose, and like, if Derrick Rose doesn't get hurt, I'm sure they could have lost to LeBron a couple more times. Like that would have been fun for them, but. That's the ceiling of what that team was. That that Derrick Rose team was never a championship caliber team. Like, there's no way that you could convince me that was the case. So, um, I don't know. I think that it's it was fun to watch. It was fun to have something every week for two hours that everybody's watching at the same time, you know, and get to do the whole Twitter experience. Like, that was fun to do. Right, right. Again, and I'm going to miss that. Luckily... It seems like there might be basketball on the horizon, you know, and yeah, I do want to say real quick, all the things sure. that you guys have said, like about how Jerry Reinsdorf was majorly to blame and like a lot of the stuff, it was obviously the documentary was very biased towards Michael Jordan's point of view. Like it did not criticize like how much of an asshole he was and all those things really at all. Um, it kind of tried to put into perspective things, but like the fact that, Michael Jordan had final like say on the final cut of this documentary and the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf like you can probably very clearly tell like he was not portrayed maybe as a documentarian should like all the the conversation around like I think it was uh, Rob Perez worldwide wob on Twitter that everybody knows said like all documentaries after this, like essentially said that like no documentary will ever be as good as this. Like this was not, it was a fine documentary. It was an enjoyable watch, uh, a lot propped up for the fact that we have nothing else to watch right now, but it was like not a great documentary. 
And like that makes me so mad that everyone like the conversation was that the documentary is so good when clearly like the things that how much Jerry Reinsdorf should have been to blame like that should be explicitly said in there. But clearly things like that were not explicitly said and. I don't know, it's frustrating to see that be the conversation around it at the end. Yeah, right. Well, it's it, it's not near as good. I didn't think it was near as good as the OJ documentary that ESPN made a couple of years ago. I thought that was way better from just a informative standpoint, personally. I mean, I think that that definitely had biases and some things that it was pushing, but this was significant. This was Jordan. In a lot of ways, this was Jordan propaganda. You know, it was like, right, which is we want to clarify the myth and make them even better, you know? Yeah. I think to me, the fascinating thing, like the revealing thing in this is that it was so clearly Jordan propaganda. And yet I think the thing is like the takeaway from like the fan who came into this, like understanding most of the beats of this story already, like most of what you learned was like, oh, man, Michael Jordan was uh, really an asshole. <laughs> like more than I think you had yeah. suspected. And, and and he said that going in, like, you know, when you guys watch this, you're not going to think I'm a good person or whatever. And we did not learn anything from this that we did not already knew. It made him look like a better person than we already... Like, if we knew nothing about Michael Jordan going into it, we would think, yeah, that guy was kind of a dick. But, like, knowing what we actually know about him, we already know worse things about him that were not shown in the documentary. Well, and I think, you know, I think Ryan said it maybe last week that even throughout all of him being an asshole, it's kind of portrayed as like Scottie Pippen wouldn't be the player he was if Jordan didn't push him the way that he did. Right. And I just think that's ridiculous. Right. Like the tap the documentary takes in its like hagiography of Jordan is not to attempt to demonstrate that he wasn't an asshole. It's to demonstrate that him being an asshole was like good and cool. Yeah, like him punching his teammates in the jaw made him into the NBA Finals winning coach that he is today. Right. Yeah, like that's – yeah, you're talking about Steve Kerr there. Yeah. Yeah, like I – it is a little bit much in that regard, but it was a hell of a TV show. Yeah, it was still enjoyable. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. You want to talk about some hoops that have more recently happened and might continue to happen? Yeah, so – the NBA seems like it's relatively close um, to coming back in terms of, you know, teams are opening up their practice facilities and, you know, you've got even California saying like, hey, we can we can do pro sports here with no fans in June, you know. Um, and I think that I don't think, you know, in reality, the season was always going to come back. Like, I don't think that there's any way like. It was reported that they would lose $900 million if they didn't play the playoffs. That's just not a tenable situation. You have yeah. to play the playoffs in that in that case, no matter what you have to do. Like, you know, shit, go to New Zealand and play the playoffs yeah. if you have to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, the way um, like that would just so drastically affect the cap. Like, can you imagine Giannis making less money than Harrison Barnes in two years? Right. 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 No, it's there's, not happening. Um, They're playing it. Yeah, they're going to play it. We really should not undersell the challenges still facing the league moving forward in this. Um, There was a really great segment on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight entirely about sports leagues attempting to reopen. And one of the things that, that he touches on is like the bubble league strategy 
that like the Bundesliga has set up. Like uh, a Bundesliga coach broke quarantine. He left his hotel, broke quarantine to go get a toothbrush and some toothpaste. And as a result, like he cannot be with his team until he has two consecutive negative tests. So he's going to be like away from his team for like a month. Wow. Yeah, I think then. Yeah. The number of tests required is enormous. The amount of discipline required from everyone involved, teams, team staff, broadcasting staff is yeah. enormous. And For sure. It is a lot to ask, I think, of a country that is still trying to decide if it even thinks that this thing exists. Especially an incredibly entitled country that we are, and then NBA players, maybe some of the more entitled normal citizens there are in this country, just behind middle-aged white women. Yeah. And, like, it's... it's, uh, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't... Like, when you get into the the playoffs, for example, like, an important player, even if it's, like, an important role player, test positive, how many teams are going to try and, like, bury that under the table to play a game that, like, play a game that day and maybe come out with the test after the game? Oh, yeah, he tested positive. He's not going to play in the next game. Like, well, the how, thing how is that if a player tests positive, everybody on that team and the team they just played can't play anymore. Like... You yeah. can't have any positive tests. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, I don't, I'm not sure I necessarily agree. Like, I've heard, there are things you can do to mitigate that. Like, one of the things um, I've heard kind of thrown around is the idea of, you know, having, like, pods of guys that are the ones that work together. And so that the majority of the contact that you have outside of actual games is with a specific group of guys. So if a guy were to get it in that group, then yes, that group of guys is out, but not the entire team. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's extremely challenging. But the thing is, like, they just have to fucking do it. You know, like this is it's never been done before, but they have to do it. You know, yeah. like they absolutely have to play. Um, like the other reality is like, and I talked a little bit about this on the last podcast, but like th- we could run into a hard number in terms of like number of tests we can manufacture and process. We're talking thousands of tests for this sports league. Like these players are going to need to be tested more or less every day. Everyone is going to need to be tested more or less every day. Especially yeah. in the playoffs where games are happening every day. Yeah. No, I think that's it's it's gonna be weird. I do think that the NBA in a lot of ways I and the country itself is to blame in my opinion for this, but like right. the NBA for a long time was worried about the idea that, well, it'll look bad if we're getting as many tests as we need when you know, obviously they're not readily available to everybody. Right. And to me, at a certain point, it's not your fucking fault that it's not available to everybody. Yeah. You know? Even from the start, it was like when people were getting mad about that, it's like you were you were being I mean, it comes back to like propaganda shit. You are being convinced that the NBA is to blame. They are the bad people for stealing these tests 
when the bad right. people are the ones that aren't making the tests and aren't getting shit done for the country. Like, do not right. allow like, the them MB, to continue All the NBA was the doing in securing those tests was being responsible. Like, right. It demonstrating its responsibility to its own players and organizations' health and safety. And, um, like, the, the fact, even at the beginning, that people were like, why do they get the test? There are people waiting for tests. Like, yeah, sure, that's a problem. They're not getting the tests solely because they have money. That is a big part of it. But they are also, like, they have been traveling the country with thousands of people being in the same confined spaces as them and then flying to a different city. Like, they, right. it is very important for people like that to have tests and know if they are carrying this virus, whether they're rich or not. Mm -hmm. And this is probably, this is jumping significantly and too far ahead, but I want to talk about um, this. Uh, we'll, we'll get to this, I'm sure. But if I would almost be upset if the Thunder end up in the first round matchup with the Jazz just because I really do want to see what teams do to Rudy Gobert. Like, I... I, I want to see what Donovan Mitchell does to Rudy Gobert. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. And, you know, obviously, you know, we can't really know because there hasn't been any basketball. But I could really imagine a situation in which he is, like, the most hated player in the history of the league. I mean, he's he might be the most hated player on his team right now. And... <laughs> I would love to play the Jazz because they just lost Bogdanovich for the rest of the year. Right. No, tactically, like, I think which it was a just lot. incredibly stupid on the Jazz's part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead. I just agreed with that. I tell me this story because now it sounds like it's an interesting story. What happened with Bogdanovich? I think it's just that he's hurt. What is it? A shoulder injury? Uh, I don't really know. I saw it the other day and I can't remember exactly what it was, but essentially. Bogdanovich is hurt. He has been hurt since the end of the season. Oh, and they went, are now he, deciding to have season-ending surgery as opposed that's to a wrist. Know, yeah, yeah, they wrist thought surgery. Yeah. wrist surgery. Okay, so yeah, instead of thinking like at first they thought, oh, we might be back in a couple of weeks. We need to keep him. You know, they've waited it out two so, months <laughs> and then decided, yeah, let's get his wrist surgery. He's going to be done for the year now. Whereas you so know, if they made they like done consecutive ago, terrible bets. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess before we get to kind of our main thing uh, for the pod, Sam, did you have you heard last week's pod at all? I have not got a chance to listen to it yet. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you about your goat takes. If you had anything in response to what we talked about. So I don't know what you guys said, but my goat takes are the same. Uh, I know we've we've all discussed it like in DMs and stuff together, but mine are essentially probably what yours were, and that I think LeBron is the goat just because you know I think if you brought Jordan into this era right now, he's still obviously an incredible athlete. Um, he would and you can't you have to try and subjectively factor in like oh he would be able to train better and this and this and this. If you bring him into this era right now, even if he is the hardest worker out there, even if like, I think he would have to be a 40%, maybe even, like, 38% three-point shooter to be, you know, the top mm -hmm. the top of the game right now. And no matter how hard he works, he is still going to be 6'6". And, you know, he's not out-athleticing many, as many people in the league today uh, at 6'6", you know, no matter how high he can jump or whatever. 
Um, yeah. So I'm still giving it to LeBron. Also, just how great of a teammate he is. I think that can't be understated. But like we have talked about before, the whole GOAT debate is stupid and arbitrary, and everyone will continuously argue it forever because no one wants to concede like the other people's arbitrary points and that like you're never going to be able to say like oh if you take LeBron back to the 80s or the 90s you know he would just absolutely kill people it's like sure but he wouldn't have the same athletic training then that he does now um the game would be much more clustered in the lane then he wouldn't be able to get to the rim and dish out as easily like there're just way too many factors that make the debate so uh like impossible to have and so the biggest reason i side with lebron in the goat debate is that jordan fans are more annoying yeah fair enough well and i just i've kind of settled on the idea that i just i don't care about the greatest you know if if jordan is the greatest player of all time to you that's fine like that's great and objectively speaking he probably yes dominated his competition more than lebron ever has but I think also, objectively speaking, LeBron is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan, and it wouldn't make sense for that to not be the case. You know what I mean? Like, the evolution of human beings over the last 20, 25 years is incredible, and so the best player in the NBA now should be the best player of all time. Like, just if that's how we're going with it. Otherwise, you're thinking, like, I don't know if people are just arguing that Jordan is this just jesus figure that popped up in the 80s and 90s and was just so much better than everybody else and basketball should have just ended when he retired like i don't i don't understand that argument yeah i don't know the other argument that's frustrating when you say the thing about you know lebron would dominate in that era like he's too if you a lot of people like okay well if they go one-on-one like lebron would dominate jordan and then the the conversation turns to okay well then how would lebron handle Shaq? and it's just like people continually deflect they move the goalposts every argument it's just annoying to even have right yeah i think i think that's where i stand on the goat debate is that it's annoying because there isn't there will never be an argument formulated by any side that like will sufficiently convince the other side of anything right right okay so let's get into our our main thing and i was telling you guys earlier but to the listener i put more work into this podcast than i ever have for anything before because i'm bored and so what we're gonna do is i'm going to go through i've created a top 20 players in the nba currently list and we're going to go through and hopefully there's going to be some arguments happening. Like that's what would be good podcasting. So hopefully it's not just like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully we can have some debate about this. I do want to say, so I looked up, tried to find some other lists that like different sites and aggregators had put together to see how you would compare to like ESPN or Sports Illustrated, whoever. And I I found one from sportsnot.com that has best NBA players in 2020. They had a top 40, and at number 40, they have R.J. Barrett, and I stopped reading the list. (laughs) R.J. Barrett is inarguably one of the worst players in the league this season. Yeah, no, just 
ridiculous. And I, I went through, I looked at a lot of lists. I looked at the ringer made a list of like top players to this point in the season, you know, like, cause you, you'll find a lot of preseason lists that have, you know, like there's been a lot of guys that have jumped up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I had a lot of fun going through this and I, I have stats for pretty much every player on the list to kind of build my argument, I guess. So I want to start, we're going to go 20 to one, but I want to start out by like, just straight up, like telling you, like, this was a really hard list to make because there are so many good players in the NBA right now. And so I want to list off some guys that did not make my top 20. Um, And like, just for, you know, like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are on my list. So like I took uh, an entire career into account. I think Steph Curry is top 20 player in the NBA, but obviously this season he was not. So So this this is Um, essentially like if you were doing a fantasy draft, like you were making a 2K team for just this season, this is who you would take in the top 20. Yeah, essentially. And like if I were going to build a team – to go on a playoff run. That's kind of gotcha. one of my big things. If I'm building a team to go on a playoff run, this is kind of how I would go about the right. process. So For comedy uh, purposes, I have pulled sure. up basketballreference.com and pulled up the top 20 players by PER this season to yeah, demonstrate so I, why PER is a flawed stat. I will a little bit like, yeah, PER is definitely one you have to take uh, subjectively. Like you get Mitchell Robinson up in the top. And things like that. But I think, like, if you combine a look of PER and win shares, win shares definitely I like to use for, like, impact purposes. And then I'll also be, like, checking your list off of 538's metrics, which I also like their basketball uh, wins above replacement metrics that they just came out with this year. So those are those are kind of the main two I'll be looking at win shares and wins above replacement. Perfect. All right, so let me let me list off some of the guys that did not make my top twenty. Kyrie Irving, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell, Russell Westbrook, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert. That's kind of like what we're looking at here. Like, and there's I have more on this, but I'm gonna stop there. But like. It's a pretty ridiculous list. Oh, Kimba Walker as well. Um, but it, I think this is a pretty impressive list of like just how good the NBA is. You know, like there are so many good players in the NBA right now, and so it was it was hard to kind of narrow it down just to a top twenty. Okay, so I'm going to start at number twenty, and I have Bradley Beal. Brad Beal. Okay, and obviously also, a very good player. Yeah. Also, to add on to this. Um, I have five tiers of players within this top 20. So this is tier five. Um, I have Bradley Beal because that dude has upped his game the last couple years. He averaged over 30 this year on not a great team. But when I look at a guy like this, he is like the perfect complimentary star. And, you know, if you're looking you're at the top, the 20th best player in the league, you're obviously not looking at a guy who... You know, if this is your best player, you're going to win a championship. Like, so I think Bradley Beal is kind of the perfect complimentary second option to a better player. Um, and I think just overall, the the fact that he's improved his assist totals and his assist percentage has really impressed me. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, if your star isn't hitting, he can easily carry you. I kind of like 
to me, he's kind of similar to how I think of Kyrie Irving, but I think I would favor Bradley Beal at this point just because he has better size and he is more capable of defending, even though he didn't really defend on the Wizards, but he was playing for the Wizards, so I don't really fault him there. Um, so number 19, I've got our boy Chris Paul. Okay. Um, yeah, and this this to me is is, is a lot about that if I'm going into a playoff series, I think Chris Paul is a guy, and I know people are you're going to throw the, the playoff success in my face. Um, and if Chris Paul is your best player, you're not winning a championship. But, you know, if Chris Paul is leading your team in the playoffs, he's going to be able to manufacture good possessions at the end of games. And that is an invaluable skill in, in the playoffs. We've seen that tons of times this year in Oklahoma City where – the Thunder in the fourth quarter in a close game, they need to score on a possession. Chris Paul gets to his mid-range, and it's money. Yeah, so if uh, this season is any indication of that, Chris Paul will not get you good possessions at the end of games. He will get you great possessions at the yeah. end of games every yeah. single time. Like right. The fourth quarter stats for the Thunder and for Chris Paul were just absolutely unreal this year. Yep. Um, so at number 18, I have Chris Middleton. Uh, he averaged, you know, this year is his best season, 21 points a game, four assists. His true shooting percentage is 61.9. That's a really good true shooting percentage for a wing. Um, he's just a guy that, you know, perfect two-way player. You know, he's a great fit next to Giannis. I have him a little bit lower. I think the stats would maybe suggest that he should be higher. Um, but I have him a little bit lower because I do think in playoff time, he is going to have a little bit more trouble at getting, you know, he's not necessarily, he's not Kawhi Leonard at the end of games, obviously. So that's why he's a lot lower on my list than guys. And I have other wings ahead of him as well, but just as far, like he is a key cog in the best team in basketball this year. And at the end of games, in a lot of cases, he's going to be the guy taking those shots. And he's been good at that this year. Um, yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh yeah, I would. I feel like he's a. That's a little bit underrating him. Um, just, I mean, sixty percent true shooting is really good. Um, yeah, it is. And uh, God, you just look at, you know, he's got he's got uh, like twenty one percent assist percentage. That's good for a wing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got a relatively low turnover percentage. Um, yeah. yeah. I, this like, is he's Chris kind Middleton, of this is this is a really good season, and I get yeah. that. Like you kind of have to weigh that against the fact that he was like kind of bad in the playoffs last year. Right. I'd say I'd say it's a properly fair rating for him because there is basketball. It's tough to rate individual players on a thing like this because it is like he is definitely all these things. His you know per his assist percentage. These things are all his true shooting percentage. Even they're all helped out for the sole fact of playing with Giannis. And also, yeah. like, Budenholzer is an incredible coach. And so these things are definitely made easier for him to prop him up. But at a certain point, you can't deny and say, like, oh, this season is invalid for him because it's just the team is so good. Like, I think right. I think this is about a proper rating for him personally. And I think we can put to bed the argument that Sam and I had during the summer oh, that Chris God. Middleton no, is you still, you better still than You still do Tobias not understand Harris. the argument. He's and I knew you were going to bring that up. That was Tobias never... Harris. That was never the argument, and I knew you were going to bring that up. 
Now I'm confused. If that wasn't the argument, what was the argument? The argument was that Tobias Harris is not that much worse than Chris Milton. They're similar <laughs> players, and their numbers both reflect that. Their advanced stats do, and that like Tobias Harris was still worthy of a max contract, even though Chris Middleton might be more worthy of a max contract. That doesn't make Tobias Harris not also a max contract player. Yeah, that, that's really worked out well for Philadelphia this year. I'm right. sure they don't. They wouldn't trade him in a second if they could. But. Oh, yeah, they absolutely would. But I'm, I'm still right that he is like he okay. is worthy of a max contract. Like not okay. like like we were saying when we had this you know discussion last summer what they're worthy of versus like what the market commands for them you know you can't put an arbitrary number like he is worth this much like he is the kind of player that gets a max contract and he you know should have got that max contract okay um all right for the record i don't think either of them are worth a max contract but uh it is worth noting that chris middleton is 11th in the league in win shares per 48 whereas tobias harris is 67th that's hmm. fine. It's interesting. If you go by total win shares, he's 30th, and Chris Middleton's 15. <laughs> we, can, right. we, can, we can find stats for anything. can. We can. <laughs> right, we can find more stats that Chris Middleton <laughs> is appreciably better than Tobias Harrison. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who you can't find stats for this season, and that's my number 17 player. I have Clay Thompson at number 17. Only at um, number 17. Yeah. And I think the reason why is, I mean, obviously, you know, the injury plays a role in this. But I think it's pretty fair to assume that Clay Thompson's going to come back pretty close to what he was before the injury. ACLs are not like this career-ending thing that just destroy your career now. Um, and he's not a guy that's ever been just all about athleticism and hops. Like, he's more of like this lateral quickness on def- on defense, and he moves around screens on offense. Um uh-huh. And, like, I have – what? Sorry. Um, I just came up with another uh, metric to compare your rankings to, and I'm really amused by this because apparently this is very accurate, uh, which is the NBA 2K overall player ratings. Perfect. Do you know who's 20th in the NBA 2K overall player ratings? The Bradley Beal. It's Bradley Beal. Do you know who is 18th in the NBA 2K overall player ratings? Is it Chris Middleton? It's Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Okay. Wow. I I will assure you that I did not look at NBA 2K player ratings at any point when building this list. Um, but with Clay yeah. Thompson also to kind of like that dude is just he ended the Thunder as we knew it, right? Mm-hmm. He's the reason that the Thunder lost to the Warriors in 2016 in Game Six. He hit 11 goddamn threes and. He's one of those guys that when he gets hot, there's just literally nothing you can do about it. Um, the reason why I think he's probably a little bit lower is because I don't think, like, if that guy's having to create for himself offensively, he's not going to be very efficient. And so he is, like, the perfect, you know, he's, like, the best 3 and D wing in the league. Um, but he's not this guy that, like, you're going to for bucket after bucket in him in terms of him creating for himself. So that's why I have him maybe a little bit lower than maybe his reputation or where people think it should be. I don't know. Right. Um, it's it's tricky because 
we're we're starting to get into an area of the rankings where it's difficult to tell if this is a if a player is being slighted or not. Yeah. Like you're saying, this person is merely like Clay Thompson is merely the 17th best player in the league, which is to say he's two spots off from an All NBA team. Yeah. Um, but okay, it is I, it is interesting to me that we're willing to say that he's the best three and D player in the league. So he is the best thing at the most valuable position in the league. I mean, 3 and D is not the most valuable position. It's like the well, most valuable role player position that you have. Yeah, that's fair. That you have that's to have the creator, and everybody above him on this list is that creator. Is Would you say that Clay Thompson is the best a player can be without being able to consistently make their own shot in a playoff setting? I think he's the best possible 3 and D wing, is what I'll say. I think okay. he is the the best version of that player that you can possibly come up with. Um, okay, so that is my, that's the end of my tier number five. So that's four players in tier five. So we'll move into tier four. Um, so at number 16, I have Ben Simmons. Um, and this one, this one's a little difficult. And the reason why I settled on Ben Simmons is that he does everything except shoot and i i do like players like that um and i think in a lot of ways they're you know i think they are maybe even more valuable than the pure three and d guy because they like ben simmons he'll get you 17 8 and 8 which is really valuable two steals a game he's one of the leaders in deflections he's one of the leaders in loose balls which like he's just he plays really hard and i think that that's really valuable um and just the idea that, you know, yes, he doesn't shoot the basketball, but he does cause problems for teams. Like he is a six foot ten point guard. There are teams that don't know what to do with him because he's so big. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of value there. I also think that I took into account that if Ben Simmons were in a more idealized situation for him and not playing with a high usage center. I think we would see a better version of Ben Simmons consistently. Um, you know, not, he's obviously not as good as Giannis, but I think that if you were to build a team similarly to that, Ben Simmons could be the kind of like key initiator on a good team, if not championship level. Right. I think that's fair. Um, my pushback on this one is that in a playoff setting, his I have never seen a player whose value dries up as rapidly as his as his seems yeah. to in playoff settings, particularly against the Boston Celtics for no reason at all. Well, I mean, and that kind of goes with I think in situations in which he wasn't playing with Joel Embiid, he could be more effective. But the fact yeah. that they essentially have to put him kind of in the dunker spot at times because they have to give the ball to Embiid because Embiid's great. He's higher ranked on this list than Simmons. Um, I think that Simmons is one of those guys that, like, in a lot of ways, he's kind of like Russ in that you have to kind of build your team around him. Otherwise, his effectiveness isn't what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't necessarily knock that from a, like, if I'm building a team, he's a guy that I would want to have on that team. You know, like, 
if I need an initiator on a team, I would have no problem building around Ben Simmons. Yeah. I um, I don't know. I'm so conflicted about where to rate Ben Simmons because freak, like, I, for one thing, I think we all think that he probably shouldn't be on a team where he is playing guard. That, that is probably a misuse that there should be shorter players than him. Yeah. On the, you know, players who can space the floor around him yeah. and he can still initiate an offense, but he needs to be doing that from a forward position. Um, I, which I, I, at, oh, go ahead. I would love to have a podcast with where I could just shit on all of the things that the Philadelphia 76ers have done. Um, to build around Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid. Um, God. In the year of our just... Lord 2018, the three of us wore graduation caps that said trust the process on them. Yeah. And you know who didn't trust the process? The Philadelphia Philly. 76ers. The Philadelphia so 76ers. They, they fucked way up. And so that's that's my thing. That's why I have Ben Simmons. Sam, do you have a take on this? I know you're a Philly um, I think I think... Ben Simmons has to be knocked for the sole fact that his play style makes Tobias Harris a worse player. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think Tobias Harris, you know, if he were playing in Milwaukee, could have a Chris Milton-type impact. Hmm. Um, but the way that Ben Simmons refuses, not, not even the refusal to shoot, like Giannis isn't a great shooter either, but, like, the way Ben Simmons, like, he won't, he could be a great role man, you know, on on pick and rolls also with like a smaller point guard and the gravity that could create, you know, could create open shots, not for Tobias Harris. Like I'm making, I am making jokes about that, but like just if he would do more, not even just being a spot up shooter, like it could create better spacing for the team. Um, But yeah, this is probably about right. Maybe a bit lower. I think he's definitely a top 20 player just for the sole fact that he is a six ten point guard that can get to the rim with ease and plays incredible defense. Is we give him credit for being a six ten point guard while saying that he probably shouldn't be a point guard. Right. I, well, I think I, he should be a point guard. Cause I mean the things the point guard things he does like his handle is incredible for a guy yeah, that big. Yeah. He gets to the rim with these. He is a great passer and distributor. Like he has great vision. It's just that the way he plays doesn't create like he. Other players without such great vision could make those easy passes if the spacing mm-hmm. was better on the team. Right. I will say, I, but this this is why I say what I mean. I find it really difficult to properly evaluate Ben Simmons, is that I think of all of the things he does, the only thing the only thing we talk about without the qualifier of for his size is his passing. I think he's a legitimately great passer. And he would be a legitimately great passer if he was six two, but his handle is good compared to other six ten guys. Um, and so that's when I'm like, really. I'd like I think he'd be a great initiator from a forward position, and again, it would be nice if the 76ers also thought that. Um, well, and like that's, that's oh, kind ahead. of I I don't necessarily care about the like height of other players. Like Ben Simmons is a primary initiator, and you have to surround him with guys with the correct skill set in order for him to get the most out of his game. Philly has done a terrible job of that. You know, if you want to put two guys that are 6'3 out there that have the skill set that would make him tick, he could still be the guy as, as the initiator. So I don't, like, if you want to call that the point guard, whatever. Like, I don't care. He is, like, the primary initiator 
on a team, in my opinion. I think he can be that. I think that's fair. Um, just because we brought it back around to Tobias Harris. Uh, Tobias Harris and Chris Middleton are number 32 and number 33 on the NBA 2K player rankings. They are both 86 overall. That's way too high for Tobias. Way, <laughs> way too high for Tobias. Um, all right, I'm going to move on to, to my number 15 player. And I have Spicy P. Pascal Siakam. Spicy P. As my number 15 player. And this guy is, you know, it's for some of the same reasons of, of Ben Simmons in, in terms of his defensive versatility. Like that dude is a guy that can guard essentially one through five. Um, but this year he's really raised his offensive game. And he's, you know, he's averaging 24, 7, and 4 on a really good basketball team. Um, and so I, th- I really like the value that he provides. Like he's not the most efficient shooter, like 55% true shooting is, is about league average. But when I'm looking at a guy who has a pretty high vol- usage volume, that's pretty good. And he's also bringing so much value defensively um, that I really think that Pascal Siakam is maybe one of the more underrated guys, although everybody says this, so maybe he's not underrated, but um, I like Pascal Siakam. His PER is, I think, the lowest on this list. It's 18.7. Um, but as you said, PER is a flawed statistic. So um, I'm rolling with Spicy P at number 15. Right. Also an incredible um, – yeah. He's an interesting player, I think. Um, this – I think this is a little bit of a predictive rating. In terms of, I think more people would agree with you once the playoffs happen. And he demonstrates okay. that, like, he is he can be, like, this is a guy who can score off the dribble in a playoff situation from the power forward position. That's really mm-hmm. valuable. And he can guard everybody. Yeah. You can play that dude at center. And that's, he's going to be creating advantages in that, in that way. Um, so, I'm, I like, I like Pascal Siakam. Sam. How do you feel about Pascal? Very good. Um, I don't understand. I mean, I know the the Raptors play a very team-oriented style, but like his his win shares and wins above replacement, like this is one as one time where you have to look at and say, okay, like this is definitely skewed. Pascal Siakam has been incredible, and there's no way he's the 60th best player, like based on wins above replacement this year. Right. His, um, well, his win shares per 48 are comparable to Moxie Cleaver. So. Yeah, and his his win shares total are comparable to OG Ananobi, and um, I don't know where Fred Van Vliet is on this. Yeah, he's barely uh, behind them. So like, they're something, some way the Raptors play is skewing their personal impact uh, stats. But yeah, you watch Siakam and just the leap he has taken. With Kawhi and now the le- the extra leap he has taken with Kawhi gone, it's like the dude is incredible. Yeah. All right, moving forward to number fourteen, I have someone we are all familiar with. I have Paul George at number fourteen, and I think that a lot of people might argue this is too low for Paul. Um, but my argument is. The Paul George has largely reverted back to the player that he was for his entire career this year. And I think last year was a flash in the pan, best we're ever going to see of Paul George. Um, we know what he's capable of. He's a 
great shooter. He's a great defender. Um, but I think Paul George is a shitty decision maker. And when it comes into like the end of the season, when's the last, like it might be since those Miami series when he really truly showed up in the playoffs and played his ass off last year, he was amazing. He got hurt. And then he was horrendous for the last part of the season and the thunder lost in the first round, largely because of how bad he was. Um, yep, all fair, I'd say. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all. I haven't, I I haven't thought out my top 20 list to see, like, I mean, I know I'm going to recognize the names you say in the next 12, but um, I don't know enough to, right now I haven't thought about enough to say, oh, he's definitely ahead of, you know, Joel Embiid or whoever you have next. I would, t- I would rather have a versatile wing like him. Um, yeah, it seems fair for, I mean, he was definitely, you'd say, a top eight player last year. Um, yeah, he's, he's maybe great. seen the yeah. thing, the way he's played this year and with the injuries too, he's probably taking a bit of a step back, but yeah, that's probably, yeah. probably about right. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, hmm. it's an, it's an interesting question with Paul George. Um, because I guess the question is like, if he's a poor decision maker, is he like that? This is he this many steps above like, clay thompson like he can obviously do more things than clay thompson yeah um but like one of the things about one of the one of those things that would be on that list is like well he's got playmaking ability right he he can be a primary initiator in sets and like if he's a poor decision maker he can't like yeah well i mean just the the fact that he's able to create his own shot and shoot off the dribble is a valuable skill set um and, you know, he can initiate pick and roll and shoot threes in those scenarios. Uh, he's a very versatile shooter, which is, is really valuable. But mm-hmm. um, the thing with him and the Thunder last year, like, he had to be the best player on the team. And that's just not Paul George. And he had one kind of three three or four month run where he was able to do that at a high level. And he's done that before. I mean, he started seasons in Indiana where it's like, oh, shit, Paul George is... He is on the ascent. He is that he's going to be a freaking superstar player. And I think the reality is that he is, you know, kind of similar to Clay Thompson, an unbelievable um, three and D player with a little bit more creation ability than Clay Thompson, which is why I put him above him. He's also a more impactful defender. Like Clay Thompson is a great one on one defender, but he's not a guy that's going to just wreak havoc on the offense Paul George at times you can't pass the ball in his vicinity because he's going to get the ball yeah you know what I mean that's Paul George um and so that that's why I have him ahead of Clay Thompson um but yeah I think he deserves to be a little bit lower than I think like you know people coming in this year talking about the Clippers have two top 10 players and I just I do not agree with that yeah it's interesting to me and makes this it's deeply ironic that one of his basketball reference nicknames is Batman since what we're clearly describing here is a Robin. Yeah. No, he is 1000% not a Batman. Um okay. All right, moving on to number 13 and it's a guy that's always kind of been grouped with Paul George and I've got Jimmy Butler at number 13. This is interesting. Because- yeah, and the reason why I have Jimmy Butler ahead of Paul George is that I think he's not a real dumbass on the basketball court as often. Uh, like, 
maybe he's kind of a dumbass in general, and he's definitely an asshole. Like, there's no doubt about that. But this is a guy that went to the Miami Heat and made them better. They are better this year. Jimmy Butler is the best player on that team. He's a guy, he's averaging 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. He gets to the free throw line a ton. I think it's like 9 attempts a game. Like, he gets there a lot. He's had a horrible 3-point shooting season. But he's a guy that can get into the mid-range at the end of games and make shots. He was, you know, when Philly almost made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Or was it the Finals? I think it was the East Finals that they almost made last year. He was the guy that that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid had to be like, here, you are the you're the creator here. Um, so I think in the playoffs, Jimmy Butler's the kind of player you want. He's the he relishes that opportunity to be the primary creator on a team, and that's more than you can say for a lot of guys in the NBA. It's more than you can say for Paul George. Yeah, I think the int- here's the interesting thing, thing to me about Jimmy is that he truly is having an abysmal three point shooting season. He's yeah, twenty five percent. From three. He's having a rust season from three. Right, which has not been, like, this is the worst he's shot since his rookie season where he took .33s a game and made 18% of them. Right. Um, but, the, like, but the other thing is you look at the general trajectory of his shooting from beyond the arc compared to his percentages, and he shoots fewer of them when they aren't going in, which is not a thing you can say about Russ. Um, yeah. Or at least you well, couldn't until, until this season. This yeah. season, yeah. Um, so I guess my the interesting thing to me is going to be in a playoff scenario: does he revert, and does he start trying to take ill-advised shots, because teams are going to give those to him. Right. Yeah, I mean that's an excellent question. I think I try. I just I don't know something about Jimmy Butler, and maybe you know he might be a guy that he has the Tibbs years on him. But if I'm going into this playoffs, I feel better about having Jimmy Butler on my team than I would about Paul George. I know that Jimmy Butler, I feel confident saying Jimmy Butler is going to produce more than Paul George in a playoff series. Yeah, I mean, it's when you look at every impact stat, I mean, he's Jimmy Butler's seventh in win shares per 48. Uh, where is he in total win shares? Eighth in that, um, his... War on 538, he's top, he's uh, at 11th on that. It's like, he's obviously very impactful, and he's perennially been, like, the, in, like, a top 20 guy, but, like, always in the 15 to 20 range, and so it feels weird to, like, put him up at number 12. I mean, I personally still think I would take Paul George over him, just for the fact that we've seen Paul George at a higher level. Um, he He's... Only one year younger, but Jimmy Butler is an old 30. Like, he he hasn't shown signs of slowing up yet. But, I mean, he yeah. the dude has a lot of mileage yeah. on him. Dude is I, an old 30 and played for Tom Thibodeau for yeah. almost his entire career. So, I, I would probably still take Paul George. But, I mean, if we're talking about just this season, um, like, Jimmy Butler has been a top 10 player this year. Yeah. I think, I think Sam makes a good point, which is that Jimmy has been better this year than Paul has been. But, like... The peak of what we've seen from Paul George is like an MVP caliber player, and we haven't seen that from Jimmy ever. Yeah, I mean, I agree that meaningless early regular season games, you'll see great Paul George. Like, that's cool. That's fun. He'll go out and hit eight threes and score 46 in a meaningless game. When it comes down to winning games in 
important situations, he's going to fade. Like, that's I just mean, what I didn't, believe. I didn't, mean, didn't Paul George with a trash-ass Pacers team give LeBron a run for his money a little bit there? I mean, he's had some moments. They've gone largely forgotten because, I mean, the Pacers were horrible. But, I mean, he didn't look... From what I'm remembering, this is completely anecdotal. I don't think... I know in one series against... I want to say it was the Cavs, LeBron. Like, he was really freaking good. Um, and so, I mean, he's he's done it before. He was horrible with the Thunder, that's for sure. But I, yeah. I still think, like, that is that is in there, and I would want to bet on that with Paul George. Okay. Well, I mean, like, what I would say is that, like, that entire Indiana team, like, he was a part of that team, and he was probably by that time the best player, but he wasn't, like, an all-star player at that time, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. he kind of came out of nowhere in that playoff run. He averaged, like, 17 points a game that season. Um, And so I'm, I don't know. I, I hesitate to put that kind of into the equation because there were, I mean, that was good Lance Stevenson, man. Good Lance Stevenson was on that team. I'm not uh, even talking about you're, – you're thinking of, like, when they ran with the Heat with Roy Hibbert and Lance Stevenson. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm thinking I'll, – I'll try and find some stuff here. I'm thinking, like, his oh, last season – Oh, you're talking about year that he got swept. Yeah, they got swept in the first round. But, like, every game they played was close. Okay. And well, I remember Paul George being – very well, we, good. In well, that we all series. know how intense the Cleveland Cavaliers took first round playoff series. <laughs> so. That's a very good point. And you, you, but you could also argue when he's with the Thunder, like there's definitely a certain mentality when you feel like you're playing with a shitty ass team that you're you've done everything all season for them. You're frustrated, maybe a little bit playing with Russell Westbrook, and like there's probably the the tendency to press and like. Mm-hmm. not play your best game. And I think if, if he's on the Clippers like he is now, I think he would be a completely different playoff performer. Mm-hmm. And well, we, will, we will find out how he does with no fans. I, sh- in the same. I hope Maybe so. Maybe that's a great situation for him. I hope so. So the thing about that last Pacers season is, um, and this is going to make me sound like an old head and I hate it, but like really that was – he very clearly wanted to take over those games. He very clearly wanted to drag his team to victory, and he failed four times in a row. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at his stats right now. Like his his shooting percentages aren't great. Like he had, I remember he had great total numbers, which is yeah. obviously a horrible metric. But he, he went for 29, 32, and 36 in the first three games, and they lost by single digits all four games against the Cavs. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's something in there for Paul George in the playoffs. Sure. But like the thing I remember from those, from that series is not whatever his single game totals were. Um, it's him being very vocal about the fact that he should be the player taking the last shot and oh, yeah. still losing yeah. every single game by single digits. Yeah. Well, when CJ Miles like took an open three and missed, and Paul George was like, "No, I should have been taking that shot, even though I was like double covered." Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great teammate. Um, all right. Anyways, I'll move on. I'll stop shitting on Paul George. I mean, I don't even really dislike. I I kind of dislike Paul George. It's fun. Um, so we're on number twelve. Jimmy Butler was number thirteen. Number 12, this is the highest-ranked player in my tier. Number four, I have 
the young kid Jason Tatum. At this number is 12. an interesting one. It's um, hot. It's a hot take. Who was the lowest player in this tier? Ben Simmons. Okay. Apart from Ben Simmons, these are similar players you've ranked I know. here. Yeah, that's kind of how it worked out. Like, a lot of similar players and their roles got, like, I think that, you know, Pascal and Ben are, you know, they're different. But, you know, their skill set, yeah. especially defensively, these three are the same. Clay and Chris Middleton, relatively similar in their role. Um, so that I kind of liked doing that right. and just kind of like, well, I think this guy is better at that skill set. So, um, yeah, okay. I will say this isn't about Jason Tatum, but immediately something I've noticed, you haven't named any centers yet. Yeah. Which means that there are either centers you think are more valuable than Tatum, George and Butler. Uh huh. Or there are no centers in the top 20 of the NBA in your estimation. Well, I mean, you heard the players I left off. I left off Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, who are pretty widely considered top 20 players. I do have a couple centers. I okay. will say that. I have a it's, couple. It's it's an interesting... And I, I'm not sure which reality... I Like, the idea that you would put a center above all these guys or have no centers at all in the top 20, I'm not sure which is more controversial. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see what, when we get there to the okay. to the centers, okay? Um, and so with Jason Tatum, I think in a lot of ways, I am a little bit biased. I think maybe Paul George and Jimmy Butler might be better than him today, but I think Jason Tatum does have superstardom in his future, and so I kind of am projecting that like. The next opportunity Tatum gets, I think it's likely that he kind of breaks out. He was on a freaking tear before the whole break. Like I remember, like one of the last games I watched him play were, was against the Lakers, and the Lakers had no answer and had no idea what to do with him. Like that dude was scoring on anybody that they tried to put on him, and so I just think I think he's a more capable scorer than Paul George and Jimmy Butler as like a primary scorer. I think Paul George can be super efficient as this like secondary guy. Um, Jimmy Butler is a you know probably a better creator for others, but Jason Tatum to me is a guy that you can give the ball to and he can get you buckets in the playoffs. And he's a better three point shooter than I thought he would be, especially this early. Um, and his true shooting percentage is a little bit lower than those guys, but I also think that the job he has, you know, particularly compared to Paul George is a little bit more difficult. And I think that, you know, he's getting the best defender um, on every team when they play the Celtics. That's Jason Tatum. Um, so, I don't know. I I don't know if there's, like, a super strong argument that he's better than the last two guys, but I like Jason Tatum more, so I put him higher on my list. Yeah, and I've I've been a known hater of Jason Tatum, and it's undeniable now. Like, he, he's definitely a great player. Um, I still think... He's very young, and he is a good defender, but I don't think he is definitely not on the level of Jimmy Butler or Paul George at his peak. Um, and I think he he was on that incredible hot streak there at the end, but he still, like, he gets, you know, early early career uh, slumps where, like, starting around Christmas time, he was just in a, a pretty low-scoring slump. He had 11 
30, 12, 24, 13, 28, 17, 14, 15, like in a stretch. Like he, he can get cold like that still, even though he was incredibly hot towards the end of the season. So I would definitely put Jimmy Butler. I would take Jimmy Butler and Paul George ahead of him. And at this point, I would probably still take Siakam over him just because of what we've seen. Um, but I yeah. think he, that I think it's all the same tier. I think that's a fair place to put him. Yeah, I don't know if he's the best of this tier, partially because I think that I'll, we're basing a lot of this off of a breakout season that was cut short. Yeah. So there's ab- there was absolutely room for him to regress at the end of the season, and you know we could have been spared that, or this could have been the new normal. If this is his new normal, he's a better player than these guys because he's making seven threes a game at 40, or he's taking seven threes a game and making 40% of them. Yeah. And that's amazing. <laughs> like... And, like, he, I think from a, a ball handling standpoint and his ability to kind of get to the rim is superior to especially Paul George. Um, and, like, the guy is so young. Like, that's part of this situation is that I am projecting what he's going to be because he's only 22 years old, and I'm just excited about how good he is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's kind of destined to be a top 10 player for at least a couple years coming up, and I'm I'm excited about that. I think I think that both Jimmy Butler and Paul George are kind of on the decline, whereas I think Jason Tatum, maybe not as good right now, but he's on the ascent, so I like him a little right. bit more. Right. Um, looking at Tatum's stats, I will say the one thing that stands out to me is his really, really low free throw rate, which yeah. you have to imagine will increase as he starts to get star reputation. Um but, yeah. I mean, it could also be related to the shots he, he's taking, except the shots he's taking this year are very different than the shots he's taken in the past. And his free yeah. throw rate is about the same. So my thought is that that will go up just as he naturally becomes a face of the league. Um, but, yeah, to, like that's the biggest difference. That's the most obvious difference to me in terms of this season compared to his past seasons. I know he got a lot of crap from fans last season. For, yeah. essentially for talking to Kobe Bryant. <laughs> well, and he, he had to play with Kyrie Irving, and I, right. I just can't, I can't that, hold that against I think him. The biggest thing is that he, um, you know, he got a lot of crap for trying to be a Kobe-style player while playing with Kyrie, which probably pissed Kyrie off, and that was probably not a great work situation. Yeah, um, and there were just too many freaking guys. Like, Kyrie is too strong of a personality to go with Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, there were just too many guys on that team. And now that you see, like, the Celtics haven't, they're better this year, and they lost Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. And Jason Tatum's improvement is a lot, has a lot to do with that. Right. So he took three threes a game his uh, rookie season, 3.9 his sophomore season. He loses Kyrie and Horford, and it turns out that he's a stud from the three-point line because he's taking seven this season now. Yeah. He's making them at the same rate. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I definitely think Tatum, like, I there is a reality in which three or four years from now, Tatum is not in this tier of players. He is in maybe a tier or two above this tier. I 100% agree. Um, all right, let's move into my next tier. And there are five players in this tier, so this is number 11 through 7. Um. And this is another guy that I think in a couple of years is definitely going to be in a couple of tiers higher than this. But I have Luka Doncic at number 11. 
Uh, yeah, I definitely think he's a tier above those last guys. So. Yeah, and, and that was kind of interesting to me. Is like that, that's a pretty clear break to me from eleven to twelve. Like that's pretty obvious to me. So um, I have Luca, and you know maybe even if I watched him a little bit more this year, I would have him a little bit higher. But like the dude is the primary incredible. He's he has a thirty-seven percent usage rate in a historically great offense. That's a big deal. He has a 45.3 assist percentage in a historically great offense. He is the Mavericks offense, and that is the best offense in the league. Okay? He is a freaking superstar. The idea that he didn't go number one overall in his draft class just tells you that, like, yeah, teams just overthought that and are stupid. And there's a reason the Suns and the Kings are going to be picking in the lottery for years to come. Because they don't have Luka Doncic, right? Um, and the Hawks, and the Hawks. The Hawks, I, I, they'll figure it out. Listen. Hate to throw Trey Young under the bus, but there's no. no the Hawks are fun. Yeah, they're also horrible yeah. at basketball. That's true. Like, yeah, Trey Young is fun. Nothing else about the Hawks is fun. Um, Luka Doncic is fun. Okay, fine. He's okay. He's okay. He's like worse than Mari Stoudemire. Um. <laughs> But, yeah, this is a guy in his second year in the NBA. What I think he's, what, 20 years old, 21 years yeah, old now? Yeah, 20, 20 years old. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, 28.7 points a game, 9.3 rebounds, 8.7 assists. Like, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for three years, and that's what he was gunning for. I think Luka could just average a triple-double and just – it's just like an accident. You know? Like, this dude is a monster. And he's he's one of the best passers in the league as a second year player. He's only going to get better. Um, I guess I mean I don't really have any questions. Like this dude's a stud. Yeah, I think I I probably am going to end up having Luka Doncic higher. Like I love Joel Embiid, and wherever you put him on this list is going to be fine with me. I would probably have Luka ahead of Embiid just for the fact he's a at a more impactful position. And like you said earlier, the Mavericks, the best offense in the league, like historic offense, Dallas Mavericks, are almost no different from last year other than Luka Doncic took a step. Like you think, oh yeah, they have Kristaps Porzingis now, like it makes things easier for him. Kristaps Porzingis has the lowest offensive rating on the team. Like Luka Doncic has made guys like Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith like players that yeah. look good on a basketball court when they have rarely done that in their career so far. Like Luca is just absolutely unreal. And at 20 years old, the way he handles the ball, a capable defender, just yeah. Luca is amazing. I I question his defense a little bit more. And like when I've had playoffs as part of this whole discussion, and I do think in the playoffs he is a guy that would get targeted. Um, yeah, I know when the Lakers played the Mavs, LeBron was like, "Give me switched on to Luca," and LeBron went off. I know it's LeBron, but there are other players that, like James Harden. There are other guys that could take advantage of him defensively. Yeah, um, that, and that's just something he's gonna have to work on. He's gonna have to get quicker. I like the dude still kind of looks fat. Like I know, like it's, I don't know. He's kind of got the double chin thing going. Like I feel like he could stand to lose a few pounds and it would make him quicker and a more effective defender. Right. Um, but the guy's amazing. Yeah. I would love to see him with somebody else also. Right. 
that to me is going to be the incredible thing about Luca is when he's playing with like another legitimate superstar. Like yeah. if he ever, and I, I don't think that's Kristaps. I know they wanted it to be, but I don't. Right, think that, and that's my thing is that Kristaps so clearly isn't that. Because um, he, well, here's the one thing about Luca that annoys me is his shot selection, <laughs> and it's yeah. because he is the Mavs offense, but he takes nine threes a game and is shooting thirty two percent for three because he's taking the dumbest. Because they're all step backs. Yeah, they're all step backs. Like he right. is, he's kind of like a bigger white James Harden in a lot right. of ways. Right. Like, and that's why, like, to me, like the pinnacle of Luca is a Luca where he's on a team where he doesn't have to take ten of those shots a game. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I I definitely think that there, you we should question his defense. Um, and but yeah, like literally, other than the fact that he takes a lot of shots, I think are bad. Like. He's still really good. Yeah. And I, I think by next year, the dude's easily a top 10 player. Um, and I kind of regret not putting him ahead of a couple of the guys that I have listed. Um, but here we are. I have him at number 11, just outside the top 10. Um, so let's move on to my number 10 player. And we have a center. Um, I have Nikola Jokic at number 10. Interesting. And I think in large part because this dude, similarly to Luka, he, does, he goes about it way differently, but he is the Nuggets offense. You know, he is the guy, you give him the ball, and they have a bunch of dudes running around, and he finds all of them when they're open, and he facilitates that offense um, from, the, from the high post. He can go into the low post. Like, he is one of the few guys that, like, you can't just, all right, we're going to put P.J. Tucker on him because he will just, he'll put that guy in the rim and get a layup. You know, like he is one of those guys that can do that. He gives Steven Adams fits because he can just dribble around him because he pulls him out to the three-point line and dribbles and he'll dish off or he'll just score on Adams. Like he is like the, total, the complete offensive package from a center defensively and yeah, it's similarly to, like, he is a problem. Like, in high-pressure situations, you know, if you're playing one of the elite initiators in the league, get Nikola, Vuce, or Nikola Vucevic, Nikola Jokic on a switch, and you're probably going to get a pretty good look. Um, so I think offensively he could be higher on this list, but just as an overall player because of the defense, I have him at number 10. It, uh, it pisses me off because I don't want him to be good. Um and I don't know if I would put him above everybody before him, but I'm having difficulty singling out one guy who I'm like, yeah, that's definitely he's definitely better than Jokic. Um, because to me, I, I do kind right. of regret not having Luca ahead of him. Right. But. Well, but it's just like I remember last year's playoffs where I was like, oh yeah, like the Nuggets won't work in the playoffs because like Jokic can be shut down, and he can't. It turns out. Right. Um, yeah, it's actually, like the he is actually that good. It's. To me, it's even more, especially with Luka and Jokic, the arguments that they're out of shape, it's even more annoying than the Ben Simmons needs to shoot threes argument. Because, like, yeah, they would be better players if they were in incredible shape. But, like, everybody would. LeBron would be a better player if he were a 40% three-point shooter. Or, like, there are just so many things. But, like, they, these guys are incredible at what they do without relying on that. It's not like their games are taking a step back. They're not holding themselves back in what they do. 
because mm-hmm. they're out of shape and stuff. So, like Jokic and well, Doncic and unlike, are both incredible to me. Unlike Luca, like I think Jokic could lose all the weight he wants, and it's not going to make him a better defender. Right. He's not right. going to be quick enough to be able to stay with anybody. So he may as well just keep the mass and just push dudes around. Yeah. You know, like this dude last year in the playoffs, he averaged 25, 13 and eight. Like his number, his production went up significantly in the playoffs and he shot 40% from three. Like he is a stud. He is a bona fide stud. He led the league. In, he led the NBA and PER in the playoffs last year. What more do you need? Yeah. I mean, I wish, again, I'm mad that he's this good because I kind of wanted it to fail. But this fucking fat dude is just a really good NBA center, and he can make an entire offense work around him, and it's really annoying. Mm -hmm. He's a great player. Um, Okay, so to my number nine player, I have Dame Lillard. And uh, very good, very good player. Yeah, yeah, dude's dude's awesome. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. He's kind of, you know, he is not Steph, but he is getting closer to Steph and people than people realize. Like, he's pulling up from forty regularly. Obviously, we know he beat the Thunder and he ended the last era of the Thunder on a step back thirty eight foot three over Paul George. Like, the dude is awesome, and he was unbelievable this year. It is not his fault that. They just essentially punted on this season for reasons that I have no idea. Right. Um, um, they traded for Hassan Whiteside for reasons in which I just can't understand. Yeah, got rid of all their wing depth. Um, they never yeah. actually made the trade that we wanted for Danilo Gallinari. Like, I, it's not his fault. His team screwed him over this year. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a real shame. He's never going to win a championship um, because yeah. it's not his fault. No, he's unbelievable. This dude, like, he is, like, the guy that if he is your second best player, you're probably going to win a championship. Like, he's that kind yeah. of player to me. Because um, I still, like, you know, we're at number nine. I still don't think any of these guys are good enough to be the best player on a championship team unless they're paired with, like, three other guys that I've already listed. So um, it's an incredibly high threshold to win a championship. And Dame just isn't going to get it done because he's – married himself to Portland, which he's going to make an obscene amount of money doing so. So good for him. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, that front office, I, th- I th- this year proved that they don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Um, that they fundamentally don't understand, which is an, it is really annoying by the way, as a Thunder fan to understand what the, what the Blazers have in him and what they need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think about like, if you had replaced his ability with Russ last year, the Thunder would have been Western Conference Finals good. Yeah. You know? And and instead, they, they got beat by him in five games. Like, he's like... Him and Paul George together would be an unbelievable fit. And, like, the shooting, like... It, I've thought about yeah. this too much, but... Well. Like, he is... He's the real deal. Yeah. I mean... Do we have any any complaints? No, nope, no complaints here. It no was complaints. every time he opens his mouth, I get angry. <laughs> he doesn't do it very often, but he chooses yeah. the exact right time to say things, or you know, he cho- he picks and chooses his moments to say things like he hit that shot for the city of Seattle. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to number eight. I have another sensor. Um, Joel Embiid. 
is my number eight player. Um, Ooh, okay. And the numbers are good. You know, 23, 12, three assists. Like, he's – but his, his value – he's one of the best defensive players in the league. You know, he if he's the one protecting the rim, he's going to do a great job. He's also not like Rudy Gobert in that he's just, like, kind of hopeless on the perimeter. You know, he's not going to get completely neutralized um, by – a really great initiator, largely because he can be a great initiator on the other end. Um, he shoots threes enough to kind of make teams think, okay, we might need to guard him. Um, sometimes he'll he'll make like fucking five threes in a game. Um, I mean, he's truly thirty-five percent clip for a guy that big is just. I mean, that is certainly enough. Yeah, he's a beast. Like he is an absolute monster. Like teams are still cool with him taking him, but. He's good enough to make you pay if you do make him take him. And well, I will say that this year and his rookie esque season, he was he was. But there was a stretch like the year before last, he was shooting more threes a game and making thirty percent of them. And that was that is a number that honestly feels higher than watching them. It felt. <laughs> it's true. Watching him, it felt bad. Um. But yeah. Um. He's also like he's also a guy that gets to the line a lot and makes eighty yes. percent of them. Yes, like, which is unusual for a big man. Like he is just the most skilled offensive scoring big, like true center in the NBA. Um, like Jokic is the most probably the most skilled offensive big man in the NBA with his passing and everything. But as like a low post scorer, he's the most skilled center in the NBA, um, and he's he's a stud. Like and he anchors. He can't, like, the Philadelphia defense is kind of hit or miss, but, like, when things are good for them, he is the reason, and he is a stud defensive anchor. I am, this is the first one where I'm going to make, like, a significant disagreement. I think that he's probably not as good as, like, five of the last guys we've listed. And which I don't know how many. Where does that put him? Uh, I mean, if you're you have him behind Dame, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum. I okay. I'll, I'll say that he's not as good as the last three we listed. I would not have him above Dame, Jokic, and Doncic. Okay. Um. I have concerns about. And a lot of, I mean, it's really hard to judge with the Philly players because you feel like you look at the roster and you're just like, well, what's actually going on here? Um, I am, I'm really impressed with his ability to absolutely dominate the post, get fouled, make the free throws. I am at times really impressed with his ability to extend to the perimeter um, I think he probably weighs about 20 to 20 to 30 pounds more than he should. And I don't know if he can lose that weight because he's not fat. He's just an enormous human. I think he's just a little too slow at times. And if he was a little, if he was a little faster, then mm-hmm. I think he would be totally deserving of this position. But as it stands, he's not really in a, he's not an assist guy in any sense. 
Um, he averages three assists a game, which is all right for a center, but it's not top ten player, all right. Um, it's I um I I have to like it's similar to Ben Simmons in that like they're like they're really they're really a poor match for each other, and the result is that it's difficult to make heads or tails of exactly how good they are for me. Um, but I like at this point I don't know if he is like the ninth best player in the league. I think he's probably. Um, I think he's probably below that. Okay. Sam, any rebuttal to, to Ryan? Sam? Oh no, I've lost him. I've lost no, him. I'm time. good. He's I'm muted. good. I pulled, I pulled an Alex. Yeah. Um, I only spoke for like two seconds before I realized it. But I, I just think the defensive impact that Embiid makes is too high. Um, and he doesn't, you know, get played off the floor in the playoffs like Rudy Gobert does. He's yeah. not as much of a liability on offense. Like whenever he definitely has the tendency to press and make some bad decisions. Um, we've seen yeah. that before in the playoffs and stuff. But he was a lot better with that this year. He's getting better every year about passing out of double teams and stuff. Um, so I think it just in a vacuum, you know, his I'm sure his assist stats would be better if the Sixers were shooting better this year, but in a vacuum, like the, the impact he can make on both sides is just incredibly real. And I'm, I know I'm biased because I love Joel Embiid. He's probably my favorite player in the league just to watch. Um, but I think, I think this is about right. I love the guys. I love Doncic and Jokic and uh, Lillard all below him, but I think this is about right for him. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah it, to I, me, it comes down to defensive impact. That's why I have him at number eight. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess. I um, I just, I don't know. It's hard to, because again, it's the Sixers. So it's like, it's hard for me to hold like their failure to succeed in the playoffs against him because it's like a collective failure. But this, at the same time, I feel like, I don't know. I do feel like it w- he would be better if he was like 220 or 230 and not 250 okay um also i don't think he's 250 i think that's i think he would be great if he were at 250 i think he's probably significantly more than that if right I would guess. that's yeah that's that's fair he seems I like just, a guy this, that's, that's more my like one, that's my one thought about joel is that you know he makes his you know he's a good enough free throw shooter and the great well the great thing about Joel is that he does have the strength to like get fouled make the shot and then make the free throw like his and one rate which is a stat that should be monitored and I don't know why it isn't but his and one rate is incredible his ability to make a traditional three point play is incredible um mm-hmm. but you know at times he just feels heavy it certainly affects mm-hmm. his conditioning across the season he's not played 70 games in a season um, you know, there's, I, I guess he was maybe on track to do that this season, but it's hard. I don't know. Doing that math is difficult. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, I don't know about, I don't know about Joel. Okay. I want him to be good. I love him. You're hating on him. You're I'm hating on him a lot right now. True hater. True um, hater of jo- of the process. How things have changed in the last couple of years. Wow. He should take fewer threes, and also everything about his team should change. Yeah, I mean that's an, like his team is so not built for him in an effective way. But 
Yeah, we talked about that with Simmons as well. All right, let's move on to number seven. I have James Harden at number seven. This is the highest-ranked player in tier number three. That's pretty low Um, for Harden. Yeah. You're going to have to defend yourself. Let's let's do do a couple guys. Do, like, the two guys ahead of him at the end of the next tier. And I'd like to maybe do a little comparison here. So at number six, I have Steph Curry. Okay, that's uh, another very good player. Yeah. And then at number five, I have Anthony Davis. Hmm. Well, when you put it that way, it <laughs> seems pretty fair. It seems pretty fair, right? I mean, <laughs> there's I mean, a James lot of Harden, good players in the NBA right now. Yeah, there, James there's Harden, some pretty good guys in this league. Yeah. Um, he's Harden, broken, like, almost every advanced metric. Like, he's just an absolute killer in war, and I think mm-hmm. his win shares are similarly. Yeah, he's above Giannis in yeah. win shares. His true shooting percentage, his um, like his PER is not as good as Giannis's, but like yeah. everything he's done is unreal. He has broken analytics in basketball, and he's not fun to watch, but damn if he's not effective. All right, so I'm going to go in, and I generally hate doing this. But I'm going to become like a casual sports fan when I talk about James Harden here. Um, The dude is not going to get it done when it matters. Like, that's just, it's not going to happen. He's going to turn it over 10 times in an elimination game. You know, he had, for the last two months of this season, he couldn't hit anything. Like, they built the team around Russell Westbrook, and he, I mean, which, you know, maybe an indictment on Russ that they had to build around him, but Harden tanked in that period. Um, so I don't know. I to me he is built on the idea that he is going to take more threes than anyone else in the NBA, and by doing that, his numbers are going to be higher. He's a good shooter, so if he's taking more threes than anyone else, of course he's going to score more points than anyone else. Um, and he is he's taking the most some of the most ridiculously hard shots in the league. Um, but to me, like when it comes down into a playoff game, how are those shots going to go in when they have to go in? You know, like because in the in, at the end of a game, you can't rely on the fact that like oh the volume is like going to take care of it. Like it comes down to making a couple shots here and there. And when at the end of a game in a situation where you have to score, you're taking a shot that has like a 35% chance of going in at best. That's not the guy I want. Does that make? Right. Am I making sense here? Yeah. No, you definitely are. I'm going to sound like even more of an old head on this one because I'm going to say that fundamentally it feels like like James Harden is a math trick. Yes. That's what um, I think. Yeah. Like, because it, it, there's an irony in the fact that he is the best person in the league at taking the most difficult to guard shot in the league that is worth the most points of any shot in the league. Right. Because his four point play rate is astonishing. Um, And yet, despite the fact that he is so good at taking an unguardable shot, like at the end of the day, sometimes you don't need a shot that's worth four points. You need a shot that's worth, Two points. Two. You need yeah. to be able. You need to be able to win by one. Yeah. And 
You need to be able to get to a spot and get a good look. And he just doesn't take good shots ever. And I think that in high-pressure situations, that affects him, right? And so the fact – and I'm just like – the idea that he's never – like he could be a great mid-range shooter and never have to shoot them. But like in the playoffs, if you can pull up in the mid-range, you're going to completely change the way teams can guard you. And then you're going to get cleaner looks on the shots that you want to take. Right. Well, and that's the thing about James Harden is that he reduces everything around him to a gimmick. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the nature of his play style changes the way teams defend him into something that's very stupid and gimmicky. Um, But is at times entirely effective. The dude gets blocked from behind on step back threes. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a degree to, like... And this is a, it's so, it's so annoying that I don't disagree with his placement as a top seven player in the league. And we have spent nothing. We have spent this whole time just trashing him. Yeah. Um, I mean, because he is, he is inarguably like past few years, a top three regular season player in the league. But I mean, once he gets to the playoffs and I, was doing research just now so that this just wasn't completely anecdotal but the foul calls do tighten up in the playoffs the past two years he averaged 10 and 11 free throw attempts per game uh during the regular season is his two series with against the warriors he got seven and a half free throws a game in 17 18 and 10 free throws a game in 18 19 it's like he's getting more calls but they still they dramatically drop off, and I would guess if you dove deeper into the numbers, like during the fourth quarter especially, he is not getting nearly right. as many calls and the other, on those and in the like playoffs. And the other aspect is that I'm sure, and I say I'm sure, which is frustrating because I'd like to have data on this, but this is so granular. Like, how, it, how in the dip, what is the difference in the regular season and the playoffs for foul rates on the inside versus the outside? Because I'm certain... That shots from the out that foul rates on the outside decrease at a more significant rate in the playoffs than shots from the inside. I don't yeah, have I don't the data know. back that up, but that feels true. Well, and the thing also is that you're able to adjust to playing against James Harden in a series, right? Yeah. When you're playing a random regular season game, he's the only guy that plays the way he does. I mean, maybe Luca a little bit, but he's the guy that's like actively out there to try to trick people into letting him go to the free throw line, you adjust to that as a defender, right? Not And playoff teams have overall just have more good defenders. That's why they're in the playoffs. Um, so I think that that always comes into play for him. And that's why, like, you know, he's had opportunities. And maybe if Chris Paul didn't get hurt, he would have made the finals and won a championship. But, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't think with Russ on his team, I don't think that they're going to be able to do anything. Um, and so I, I I, think that Harden missed his best opportunity to win a championship as a team's best player. Um, you know, and I am kind of interested, like I was just thinking like James Harden could play forever and be like this amazing bench scorer at some point. Right. Like that's going to happen. Right. Like he's yeah. going to be like way, right. way better. Well, he's yeah. going to be Manu again because he's always yeah. been better Manu. 
Yeah, he yeah, and he became even more than that for a while, and he still is. But right. yeah, he's gonna probably transition back into a a more of a Manu type role, which right. could be really interesting to watch. But I mean, and the thing also with Harden is, dude doesn't play defense. Like it just that's not a thing. Like you can bullshit about the well, he actually leads the league in deflections. I'm like, you could just watch. Like he doesn't defend. He stands there and like. Yeah, he's a okay post defender because he's thick. Like that's cool, yeah. but like he's not post defending Joel Embiid. Like that's not a thing, you know. Like it's just, yeah, I don't know. He's right. not he's not a defensive player, and he has no plan B offensively. Like if he is in a shooting slump on his step back three, he just keeps fucking chucking away, and he yeah. shoots twenty percent for an his entire month. Abysmal. Yeah. He shoots 20% for an entire month because he just refuses to try anything else. And if that happens in the playoffs, like you're just going to get your ass beat because you can't make a step back three right now. Like, so, um, it's so wild that we hate the number seven player in the league so much. Um, but like, here's my last thing. I've pulled up the Rockets playoff history and I want to go through and See how many times James Harden has beaten a competently constructed playoff team in the playoffs. He's won a series against a competently constructed team. Okay. So, obviously, 2012-2013, they lose in the first round of the Thunder. 2013-2014, um, they lose in the first round of the Blazers. 2014-2015, they beat the 2014-2015 Mavericks. How do we feel about that? Uh, that's, I mean, the Mavericks were a shit show. They... Like, literally kicked Rondo off their team before that series started. Yeah, that's um, fair. Um, they did... Okay, they beat the 2014-2015 Clippers. Yeah, that's the one. Like, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer saving it. Like, that was unbelievable. Like, right. that's that's a great series win. Absolutely. Right. Then they lost to the Warriors. Then they lost to the Warriors. They beat the 2016-2017 Thunder, which, lol. Um, yeah, lost to the right. Spurs. They beat the 2017-2018 Timberwolves. Yikes. How do you feel about them? They, they started Andrew Wiggins, so there you go. Right. The 27-2018 Jazz. That's a good win. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they, that's the team that beat the Thunder in the first round. Yeah. That's solid. Yeah. Lost the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, largely, like, they weren't able to beat the Warriors. They've been consistently one of the top three teams in the West. And they were a victim of, of not being able to beat the Warriors like a lot of teams, like the Thunder, you know? Like, so right. you got to give them a little bit of a of a break. But, like, you know, if you look right. at where they are like, now, yeah, like... The fact that all of these things, that they ran into the Warriors bus so many times is unfortunate. But you look, like, the only other teams they beat were the Clippers and the Jazz. Yeah. Like, the well, Jazz, yeah. a team, like, uniquely suited to be taken advantage of by James Harden. Right. Well, and also, look at where they are this year. They're yeah. Ranked behind, like, they're the sixth seed in the West. You know? So. Anyways, we've shit on James Harden long enough. All right, let's we, move in. This is a James Harden-hating podcast. Are we surprised? Of course it is. Of course. Um, all right, let's move on to, I have my second tier. I already kind of gave you a couple of those guys. There's three guys in this tier. Um. And might be a, a surprise in here. I don't know. Steph Curry, number six. Um, and I think, you know, arguably could be higher. 
Okay. Um, arguably could be higher. My deal with Steph Curry is that I kind of wonder, like, in the finals, like, he could easily have no finals wins if Kevin Durant hadn't gotten hurt and if LeBron's team had lost or had, hadn't gotten hurt in the first finals that they played where they lost Kyrie and Kevin Love. So you're looking, and he's never had that, like, start to finish where he played, like, five great games in the finals. Um, and I think when you're talking about players of this caliber, that stuff matters. Like, he's an unbelievable, he had maybe the best offensive season of all time um, in the regular season, and then lost in the playoffs. So I think that just Steph Curry is uniquely, he's unbelievable in the regular season, but he is able to be picked on in the playoffs. Right. This this would be my thing about Steph. We'll go quickly, because Sam has expressed that we need to go quickly. Um, uh, Steph, I think, is a player who needs the right situation to really play at his highest potential, but if he's in that right situation, he's basically untouchable. Um, and the, the one exception is, in a serious playoff scenario, you can really beat him up, and it works. Yeah. And he's another kind of guy that, like, he is 6'3", so the types of shots he's going to be able to produce in the highest pressure situations are probably going to be really fucking long threes, and right. those are not the highest percentage shots. So that's right. an issue to me. Um, all right, Sam, do you want to give kind of your top five? I think of who all we have left. So obviously we have Anthony Davis. Uh, we got LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi. And who is the fourth that I'm forgetting? Kevin Durant. Ah, Kevin Durant. I didn't know you were going to include him. It makes sense. Um, Yeah, if I were to rank them right now, personally, I'm going to go... Oh, man, it's tough to say who all of that is Tier 2 and who's Tier 1. I think I'm going 1. I know LeBron has the pedigree, but I'm taking Giannis number 1 right now. I mean, I'd love Giannis. Absolutely unstoppable. Um, yeah, next I'm going LeBron, I think then Kawhi, then KD, then Anthony Davis is how I'm going. You probably have LeBron one, Giannis two, uh, but I think, that, or do you have Giannis behind Kawhi? So my top, my top five, I have LeBron number one. Yeah. I have Kawhi two, I have Giannis three, I have KD yeah. four, and I have Anthony Davis five. I agree with I agree with Purdy, and here's why, because obviously the controversy here is where you put Giannis. Uh huh. Giannis is astonishing, but he's in a similar situation as to Steph, where in order to really be on the upper, like in order to really be the best player in the league, he has to be on a roster that's built around him in a specific way, and that's just not true with Kawhi and LeBron. That's a great point. I mean, you saw it with Kawhi. You literally just dropped him on a team that had no construction. It wasn't like, oh, this is the perfect situation for him. It's like, this is a great this situation, is a and it's Kawhi. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a perfect situation. Yeah. Well, and LeBron and Kawhi are the two best players in the league. I mean, Durant up there, too. But, like, they can create their shot in crunch time. Giannis can't. You know? Like, late in the game, it's probably going to be Chris Middleton taking those shots. You know what I mean? And so... From an overall impact standpoint, Giannis is undoubtedly the most productive player in the NBA. 
Like, the numbers he puts up are insane. Like, you're talking about Harden-breaking analytics. Giannis is, you know, he's 30-14-6. and six. Like, that's crazy. Um, like, he's an unbelievable player, unbelievable defensive player. But, like, when it comes down into a clutch situation, Giannis is not going to be able to produce an overly efficient shot. No, a fair, a very fair point. I think I'd still have him. Man, it's just so tough. If we're talking playoffs, yeah, it's probably right to put him at three. I'd still be tempted to put him over Kawhi, even though what we just saw, and so that makes me incredibly dumb. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just tough seeing what Giannis does night in, night out to not put him at least top two. So did yeah. you did you put a tear break after Giannis, or is the tear break after KD? So yeah, I have. My tier one is LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. And then tier two is Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, and Steph. And so, the re- like, I actually kind of explained my first two tiers. Like, tier number one is, these, like, the champion of the NBA will probably have one of these three guys on it. I think we would all agree that the three most favored teams are led by each of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they're very clearly, like, these can be the best player on an NBA team and win a championship and tier number two is I don't think you're going to win a championship with these guys as your best player. If they're having to go up against those other three, unless they're like paired with three other top 20 guys or a couple other, at least, you know, like there just has to be an overall significant talent advantage to overcome like the what I think of as the true tier one superstars, um, and I, I would have Durant in tier number one if he hadn't just torn his freaking Achilles. I was gonna like say I, that. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Like I get yeah. it, but like the frust, yeah, the frustrating yeah. thing with KD is that we, we will never see. I guess probably now that he's torn his Achilles, um, what he in his prime looked like on a team that was competently built in a modern fashion around him that wasn't the freaking warriors yeah right like 16 17 we should have seen kevin durant establish himself like as this number one number two every year kind of guy like that should have been his peak right then and like you said he was on the warriors we just don't know now like he was obviously incredible and he looked like he was the top two player in the league but obviously everything is just so much easier for him in that situation. And he gets to the finals, and yeah, he's finals MVP a couple times. He's an incredible defender like he should be. But we just don't know, like, was he the number one player? Like, was he the best player in the world when he was age 28 and 29? We don't know because yeah. of the team he was playing on, and we should have got to find that out. And now right. we won't know if he could have continued that because of the Achilles most likely. Yeah, and the frustrating thing is that my gut says probably. Yeah. I think so. I think the what we were seeing from him defensively in the fifteen in the twenty sixteen playoffs, like I think he was there. I think he was about to be like what Kawhi has been the conversation around. Like man, he can do everything. You cannot stop him. He's a monster defensively. Like I think we were about to have that with Kevin Durant, and it's just. An incredible misstep on his part and his camp's part. I understand wanting to chase the titles and that getting in your head. But, dude, like, consider what your personal legacy is. Like, if you're – if that is your mentality, like, I feel like that should 
considering your personal legacy should be the most important thing on the forefront of your mind and like be realistic what is gonna do that everyone getting to see you be the most dominant player or winning a championship like i don't understand how that could have been his thought process yeah and like i just think that it would have been i don't see how he didn't look at what he had and thought like he was probably gonna win a championship in oklahoma city if he had stayed like it was probably gonna happen like he yeah. was get, like you said, getting ready to be next year. Yeah. He was getting ready to be that good. And, you know, maybe maybe LeBron has some kind of mental edge that he was never going to be able to overcome unless he was on a stacked team. And maybe that played a role in it. But like, man, he he would be looked at completely differently. And it is unfortunate that that's how it went. Yeah. And I, I hate like, I hate that in Brooklyn. I was really looking forward to seeing Kevin Durant play in Brooklyn. Like, yeah, I was pumped to yeah. see that, but now like maybe he comes back and is the same player, and that'd be amazing. But like the chances of that happening are not that great. Yeah, and he'll still deserve a spot in the top ten, regardless, because he's seven feet tall and can shoot from infinity. Like, yeah, it's true, absolutely. Um, okay, last thing I guess I want to talk about LeBron really quickly. Um, he's and- very good. Yeah, if you want to leave, like, Sam, if you need to go, that's fine. Um, yeah, I think I'll roll out, y'all. This was fun. Alex, thank you for putting in so much work uh, for this list. <laughs> Say all the good things about LeBron that haven't been said yet. Sweet. See you, man. All right, Larry, y'all. See ya. All right, tell me about LeBron. So, my deal with LeBron, and what really, like, brought me to thinking about this was, was hearing Michael Jordan talk at the end of the last episode of the last dance and he was talking about how he truly felt like he was the best player he had ever been in 1998 because he had brought his like the mental game and his skill set had come such a long way to Mm -hmm. over to compensate for the fact that his athletic skills had diminished and i think that's exactly what we're seeing from lebron and i we've seen it for a while but this year, like with the roster that's built around him, he has the perfect sidekick. Anthony Davis is like the perfect player to play with LeBron, much in the way that Scottie Pippen was a perfect player to play with Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're seeing maybe the best. I know that's like crazy, but like we might be seeing the best LeBron James ever this year. Like the way he's been able, like the Lakers are top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. He's been a much better defender this year. He's tried a lot harder on that end. Yeah. He's leading the league in assists. And one thing that really stuck out, I've been you know, kind of basketball obsessed the last week. And I, I was going back and watching a lot of the 2016 finals. And I listened to this podcast series that like broke down and talked about every game individually. And one of the things they talked about is that LeBron's shot-making ability since that time has increased dramatically. Like mm. there were there were times in that series where he was extremely hesitant to let it fly from three-point range, and that's just not really a thing anymore. Like he's a yeah. confident three-point shooter and he has improved his mid-range game. Like he is more skilled than he has ever been, which is pretty crazy. Like he was one of the most skilled players ever even when he beat the Warriors that year. Mm. But like I think his skill level is higher than it's ever been. 
and the fact that he's on a team right now that is so well built for him, we might be seeing the best version of LeBron James. He's averaging 20, 26 points a game, 8 assists, and 10.6 assists a game. Or 10, 8 rebounds and 10.6 assists a game. Like that's Which is incredible. Which pretty is, yeah, unbelievable. That's so good. Like, for LeBron, who is, again, career has averaged 7 assists. To yeah. have bumped that up by 3, like, without yeah. fundamentally changing much about his style of play or, like, you know, mm-hmm. what the team is around him. Like, yeah. Dude's just putting in even more dimes. He is he's unbelievable. And that's that's why I think he's the best player in the league still. I mean he's thirty five years old and like he's still every now like he he'll throw a dunk that you're just like, Holy shit, you should not be able to do that. But like I don't know, man. I just watching him this season, I've watched him more this year probably than I have any other individual season just because I like the Lakers. Um but He's he's crazy. He's so freaking good. And what they had just got done doing right before the season got canceled, they had beaten Milwaukee and the Clippers in back-to-back games. And he was easily the best player on the court in both games. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I certainly don't have any complaints. LeBron's amazing. It's a real shame that this version of him has had to play an abbreviated season. It's really annoying that two uh really what would be what will be looked at as really significant seasons for lebron's career have been abbreviated mm-hmm. um yeah now i do have one more question about your list and why is it mitchell robinson on your list he's 13th in per he's got she's shooting 72 percent true shooting oh my god don't even <laughs> i like mitchell robinson he's playing he's like in the, the big only... he's playing bright lights big city he's dealing with new york He's the only Nick player that I like. I, I think every other Nick player is terrible. Um, and he's probably going to underachieve for his entire career because he yes. plays for the freaking Knicks. Yes. Like, that's yeah. so unfortunate. Um, but, man, like, I that was my biggest thing looking at this list is there's so many good players in the NBA right now. There are. There really are. Holy um, shit. Yeah. Like, you're a Carl Anthony Towns hater. Yeah. And, like... He's still Carl Anthony Towns. He's still one of the best shooters of his height to have ever existed. Like that, the numbers he's putting up this year, and like, I mean, he's like you said, one of the best shooters of all time, and now he's playing in kind of a Houston-esque situation. The dude averaged twenty-six and eleven this year with four and a half assists a game, and he's not a top ten player in my opinion, or a top twenty player in my opinion. Like. It's pretty unbelievable. Trey Young, averaging like 29 and 10. Not a top yeah. 20 player. Yeah. Largely because he's the worst defensive player ever. It's astonishing. It's, he's so bad. <laughs> it's astonishing how bad. It's yeah. funny how bad it is. It is. Um, and I don't want him to get any better. Yeah. No, just stay, stay that way. Let the Hawks just average 140 points a game and yeah, be okay. No. I, instead of doing that, he needs to extend his range further. Right. Shoot from behind the line. Behind the half-court line? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's shooting quite a bit from behind the line. No. Yeah. Shoot from behind the half-court line. Um, okay. That's Yeah, that would be great. Um, but, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns, by the way, um, took eight threes a game this season and made 41% of them. He's seven feet tall. 
Yeah. He is crazy good. He is crazy good offensively. And, you know, I talked about Embiid being the best scoring big man, and it, it might be Towns, but he's just not a good enough defender for me to put him in the top 20. Um, and then, like, I was thinking about, like, Kyrie Irving. I think most people regard him as a top 20 player and, like, eh, no. Yeah. But this is like, this crazy. is the thing is there are so many guys who are in the like, top, the quote-unquote top 20. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. And, like, that was what I was thinking when I built the list. It was, like, who do I just, like, off the top of my head, it's like, oh, that's top 20 guy, you know? And it's, like, 40 players, you know? They're like, oh, he's top 20. Yeah. You know, Devin just, Booker, oh, yeah, he's a top 20 player. Yeah, you know, most for the not, record. Not me, but. And this isn't a measure of anything other than popular sentiment. You know how many players in 2K um, have a ranking of 90 overall or above? How many? 15. 15? 15. Yeah. For, Trey Young yeah. is 90 overall, which is Yeah, it's not. That's funny. Not they should have his defensive stats just be so low that it's right. like, yeah, that would be really funny. But right. I played against Trey Young in 2K last night, and he scored 50 on me. Um, but largely because I let him. But yeah. Do you know how far you have to go down to find a player who is 80 overall? How far? You have to go down to player number 96, JaVale McGee. Holy That's shit. That's how many players in the league are considered good. That's crazy. Freaking crazy, man. Um, I'm ready to watch more NBA basketball. I'm so freaking ready. I've watched so much NBA, like old NBA basketball the last week. I'm so ready to watch more, but yeah. we, we should, should probably end up. this thing, huh? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this, a mega pod from your friends at the Oklahoma Drill. We'll be back next week to talk about some other sport that isn't happening. Um, or maybe we'll all get into NASCAR. That one won't happen. Um, <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app or the Google Play Store. I'm going to look into getting the podcast on Spotify because it feels like it's not that hard. I might have said that last week. I'm still going to look into that. Definitely um, did follow, say. follow us on Twitter at RWMaxi, at Perd underscore Happily, and at NotThatSamDavis. Um, and if you enjoy the podcast, leave a review somewhere. Share it with a friend. Um, there aren't sports, but you still have us. And that's got to count for something. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, we'll see you guys next week.